Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here, and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we're back with part two of our two-part series with Ed Chan, the co-founder of Chan and Naylor Accountants and Wise Mentoring for Accountants. Now, if you missed part one, I highly recommend that you go back and have a listen to that because we talked about some really important areas uh, relating to this concept of growing your business through mergers and acquisitions. So in part one, we looked really briefly at the three ways that you can grow a business where acquisition is just one of the three. And we also started taking a deep dive into the four risk areas in, in using acquisitions as a vehicle for business growth. Now today, we're finishing off our review into those four key risk areas. And we're also taking a much deeper dive into looking at acquisitions versus organic growth and product monetization as strategies for growing a business or indeed an accounting practice. So Ed and I are talking specifically about his experience from growing his accounting practice, Chan and Naylor, and some of this information that he now passes on to his coaching clients and through Wise Mentoring, which is set up as a mentoring program for accountants who are growing their practice. But all of the things that we talk about in this episode uh, and the previous episode are just as applicable to any organization that's looking at acquisitions as a growth strategy. And indeed, it's also useful for people who are looking at uh, selling their business into the future because we've got some really good tips along the way about Uh, the vendors, so vendors or sellers of businesses and the sorts of things that they really need to be putting in place to avoid uh, issues occurring in the earnout period um, or the retention period, whatever you're calling it, after the uh, initial sale has completed. So, Buckle in. As I said, if you haven't listened to part one, highly recommend going back and listening to that first. And here we go with part two. I loved recording this. Hopefully you love listening to it even half as much as I loved recording it. So here we go with part two with Ed Chan. So location, how do you deal with that? You yeah. either move or you don't, don't you? What's yeah. the <laughs> what's the midway well, here? <laughs> well, mate, there's a lot of at the moment. There's a lot more buyers than there are sellers, mm. and um, for accounting practices, for accounting not practices. for many other businesses, but yeah, yeah. accounting yeah. practices. Like, like many businesses, <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there are in uh, in accounting, and um, so. Um, but you know they they don't always go very smoothly because of the conditions or the terms. So often when someone sells, they want someone to move into their own to, into their premises mm. because their clients are used to coming to their premises. So mm. if a buyer was to move into their premises, that's the ideal situation. Now, but most buyers won't move into your premises because they've already got their premises and they want to do what's called a tuck in. I call it a tuck in. Mm. Mm. 
tuck it into their practice. Well, I'm glad you brought this up because this is this is a bit of um, bit of industry specific jargon in the acquisitions <laughs> environment. No one else talks about tuck-ins. Just your oh, really? accountant. So maybe <laughs> can you give our listeners who uh, perhaps don't know what a tuck-in is a bit of a a bit of an overview of tuck-ins. I think it's a great sure, sure. <laughs> phrase. When a larger firm buys a smaller firm, um, they move them from their offices to to the bigger firm's offices. So generally, if the buyer is the bigger firm, they'll move the smaller firm to their to their premises. So we tuck them into the you know to the bigger firm. But m- most buyers will want to move this the the, the vendor into their office, and um, and sometimes the vendors don't like that you know, and um, they might own their own building and they want a tenant or there's all sorts of reasons for that. So just getting all the conditions right, um, you know, to find the, to match the, the, the seller to the perfect buyer, if you like, um, that, that's a bit hard, but certainly probably 20 buyers to one seller and that might be conservative. It could be more like 50 buyers to or 100 buyers to one seller. Wow. And but just trying to find the ideal buyer is the vendor's challenge. Mm. So then, are you saying that an ideal buyer is more likely to be someone who's happy to let the business sit in the current premises? Yeah. Well, I guess maybe perhaps just you know once again for a period of time. Is that right? Yes. Well, I, I just do share a, a personal experience. I was trying to buy this firm, and I was tucking them into our office, and. Um, I spent a whole year negotiating with him and, and he was agreeable to move over and he'd owned his own premises. So, uh, you know, I was able to convince him to, that, you know, he had to sell it or rent it out and he agreed to that. And in the negotiations, which took like nine nine months to a year, he mm. finally dotted all the, crossed all the T's and dotted the I's and, and we had a contract and I was just about to sign the contract and then I didn't hear from him. So I kept bringing him back and he was avoiding me. So I, I sensed there was something something wrong. And and then he finally, I finally got in touch with him and he said, oh, I had someone, you know, paid the same price, but they're moving into my premises, so I'm going to sell it to them. <gasps> so um, After all that time. That's why this space can be very frustrating. And the brokers listening in are just nodding their heads because, of course, they don't. <laughs> it's a very annoying, you know, I guess, when you're there and you've invested all your time. But bear in mind the brokers actually don't ever get paid until, <laughs> you know, it goes through. So, that's right. That's right. so I think that's a really good warning story. And and maybe in that instance as well, perhaps it's also about the vendor not really being clear or perhaps not even understanding themselves what some of the important things were for them in the sale. And maybe it's about that as well, you know, really being able to get clear about what the actual important elements are for each of the parties, which may not always be the first things that are in your mind as what's important. And and there's a difference um, between a a vendor who's selling to retire and a vendor who's selling to, you know, move on to another business. The the vendors who sell to retire, often they go in the roller coaster. So, you know, today they feel like doing it, tomorrow they change their mind and and then the the next day they're (laughs) back on. So they take you on this roller coaster and uh, and it's you've got to be really patient with them because... And, and look, I can understand it because you know they're, they're, it's a huge change to their lives. They get they get transitioned into the next stage of their life, mm. and uh, and you want to you know resist 
growing old as as, as long as you can. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it's been their business baby, I guess. This is the yeah. It's it's uh, I think it's, it's an emotion it's, thing. <laughs> it's hugely emotional. It's a hugely hugely. And it, it, you know, their business was them. You know, that's what defined them. That's what mm. gave them purpose, and mm. and to um, to finally m- make that decision to. It's a bit like you know, nobody wants to go to a nursing home, <laughs> so you want to you want to resist that as long as you can. So you, you you get that. So you've got to be really, really, really patient. And I guess then quickly flipping because I think we're talking, even though we're talking about acquisitions, I think a lot of what we're talking about here is actually really useful information for the vendors as well. So mm-hmm. if you're selling, if you're looking to sell your practice, I guess it's being yourself aware of some of this emotion that might come up, but also getting really clear on your own reasons for. Um, selling and what's important to you out of the whole sale process and starting early because obviously if transition is going, a long transition is going to be the thing that potentially preserves the value of the client base moving forward, then that also will be useful for you in terms of getting your own out. Okay, so moving, so both the the um, risk of the vendor leaving and the moving office is both the, the, you know, you know I guess you're saying here, Ed, potentially the answer is a softly, softly approach, let it sit for a while and then over time look at making these changes. If you want the vendor to move into your premises, to, to mitigate the risk, what we do is that we ask them to move uh, over, so a year early, so they'll move their premises across to us and then uh, we either enter into a contract where he exercises the option in a year's time when he wants to sell so that the oh. clients are, are used to coming over to new premises. So we're actually, as, we, as we're speaking right now, we're, we're doing one right now. So he's, uh, he's, he's retiring and he's going he's gonna to move his practices to practice to our office for a year. And at the end of the year, well, any time before the year or, or whatever, he'll exercise the option to sell it. Wow. So you do the move first. Yeah. So, okay, so it's not do the move later, leave it a while, it's do the move first. That's I love it. That's revolutionary, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, see, if, if you keep the vendor there, um, you know, the, the, the biggest one is the vendor leaving. So the vendor is still there. So you've mitigated the, 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 the risk of the, the, the office moving because the vendor is still there. Yep. So, um, you know, it's just like him moving offices. So if they value him they'll or her, they'll they'll follow that person. doesn't mm. matter where the office is. So you eliminate that second risk by the vendor hanging around. And then at some point, you know, he'll, he'll exercise the option then to sell. And then you've ticked the other box, which is, um, you know, you've, you've had a year of getting to know the clients and, you know, getting introduced to them and getting into meetings with the vendor showing your face. And, and often, you know, the, the reason why the clients are sceptical is, is because they, they've never met you. They don't know yeah. you. And, yeah. Uh, you know, so that, that's all it is. It's just to get to know the clients and, and um, yeah. And so then this next element, so number three that you talked about is the third risk area is staff leaving. So staff. how do you approach that then? Yes, that's a bit of a hard one, but you've got to look at uh, each case in on its own merits um, because obviously you know, if it's a sole practitioner and he's got a an administration person, then the, it's it's not as risky because an admin person can't do the do the work. Um, mm. So it's not as as risky. But if you had um, if it's a larger firm and there was some you know very senior accountants that's there, senior client manager who has the 
relationship with the clients, then, uh, you know, if, if they didn't like the sale, uh, then, you know, they could move on. And, and often they just move on. They don't take the clients, but they just move on. But sometimes, mm. you know, I've come across situations where, you know, they've taken a whole bunch of clients, you know, even, you know, a couple hundred grand of them. Mm. And, uh, and the one that, you know, the vendor was paid, but he would lose his retention. Mm. And then generally the purchaser will have overpaid slightly. Yeah, uh, because you know the the, the retention haven't hasn't quite covered the the loss of the clients. And, and of course, there is one legal way to to deal with this. I mean, it's hard if it's not already in the contract. But you know, I guess this comes back to you know, if you're a vendor leading into sale, you should ensure that you've got the appropriate restraints in the employment contracts with your mm. staff. And I mean, you should do that anyway to make sure. You're not leaking clients, but I guess on on the buy side, that's sort of about your de- your due diligence process, you, you know, as well. Like, here's a risk, isn't it? If you're having a look at the employment contracts and there is no non solicitation of of clients, like I guess that sits out there. I've been doing this for thirty years, and I've been involved with I don't know how many. I've lost track, but it'd be at least twenty or thirty, mm. and um, no one. <laughs> Not one single vendor had a employment contract that had a um, a restraint. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, there's a massive opportunity, isn't there, for us in the accounting? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm taking a note right now, Ed. Okay. <laughs> yes. so, so often, when the vendor comes in and they want a new employment contract signed, and you know the, the appropriate restraints in there, and that that causes a bit of an issue. Mm. Yeah, okay, I can see. I can see that. All right. So then if you've done this many transactions where you've not had the cover of having the restraint clauses and the non-solicitations for the staff that you're bringing on board, what, what do you put in place then? What, what are the practical means that, that you employ? That's a really good question uh, because it's it's on it's on each case on its on its own merits. And mm. and often the you know you talk to the vendor and the, the client manager is not a threat um, and she's been he or she's been there for, you know, 15 years and he or she's not going to leave and take the clients and it's not in their DNA, so to speak. So they know the person really, very, very, very well. Now, I, I've been involved with uh, that many, but, uh, but a lot of it was with other helping other accounting, for, accounting firms. Mm. Um, by fees. Now, as I said to you, I, I do a bit of coaching and mm. uh, mentoring, and then that's how Wise Mentoring came about. Um, but uh, in my travels of um, helping and coaching accounting firms, often part of our business plan is to grow, and we do the three ways of growing. We do the organic growth with the you know the digital marketing and the marketing and the website and all that, and then you do the the product monetization, and then the last one is that you do the acquisition. So that's how I grow a, a practice. So that's how I, I've got involved with so many. But, mm. yeah, so some, some situations are very, very sensitive. So if, you were, if you're looking at a, a, a practice and you, there was a staff, a very senior staff member there that's, you know, a bit entrepreneurial, there is a, a heightened risk. And, and you know, I, I haven't personally been bitten by it but I've, I've no no other firms that have done that and they've lost you know the staff's walked out with a couple of hundred grand 
Mm. I've seen that happen. But mm. I touch wood, it hasn't happened to me yet. But, mm. but you know, I, I always try to get the employment contract signed, and that becomes very sensitive and mm. very. But you know, from a buyer's point of view, you know, if 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 that's going to cause a problem, I'd rather know about it up front. Yeah. You know, so sort of read out the right act if you like. But you know, I put it there. So if it, if if it's going to crack, it's going to. It's better to crack then and not get yourself into trouble. Mm. So you do that discussion generally before before you exchange contracts. Is that right? It's all in the negotiations. Yeah. Because many vendors are really concerned about, you, you know, their staff even knowing that they're selling, you know. So how, how do you navigate your way through that? Oh, in, in the agreement, it's subject, once we've agreed to, to, to everything, mm. then if that's the last thing, then we, we would then say that it's subject to the staff, you know, signing mm. the employment agreement. And if they don't, then we have to sit down and, you know, talk about it. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, you know, the situation, as I said, you, you can sense a situation where the staff's not a threat, so you don't even need to go down there. Right. But, but um, most of the time they're happy to sign, you know, a sign employment agreement because they're, they're now working for somebody else. Yep. And, and from their own point of view, they, they want some security uh, mm. with an employment agreement. And, you know, if uh, often we might have in our empl- employment agreement that if they should leave and take clients, then we, we ask for $2 per dollar mm. on, in their employment agreement. And, uh, and if, if, if they're never, you know, if they're, if they're not a threat to you and they, they have no intention of going out working for themselves, then, then they just sign it. There's no problem. Interesting, yeah. If they don't sign it, then you go, well, What's you know like are you yes, paying? Yes, yes, bit of a flag. Yeah, I make a salary, but but it is a bit uncomfortable. I'll, I'll admit that. But you know, at the end of the day, you're 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 borrowing money and yep. you're, you're buying this asset, and you don't want to be left with a debt and no asset. Mm. You know? And that's mm. uh, it's just mm. an accountant talking. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and in a minute, I just want to come back to this idea of, you know, this three-step organic growth, product monetization, and acquisitions, and just sort of talk about, you know, the benefit of acquisitions in in that in that three-step process. But before we get there, we do have one more risk that I just want to fi- finish up on, and that's the changing the brand. Oh, and a- actually, I guess we talked about that already, didn't we? We talked yeah. about the, the three-year stage to the letterheads. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, it's funny, you know, like um, I've, I've never had a, a, a problem uh, on the brand side, and I don't know whether it's because China Nails is quite a, a prominent brand. I mean, we you know, like when we hire staff, we, we have a bit of an advantage because they, you know, they want to work for Chan and Allop because we're mm. in the BRW's top 100 accounting firms and some staff want to want to work for a firm in mm. the top. So um, when it's Chan and Allop, then I, I haven't had a problem with it. So, I, But, I, but I, I understand that, you know, other firms do. So the, the best way to do it is, you know, as I said, the first year you have the vendor's name, you know, right top, big letters, and you're... Down the bottom, you know, it's like incorporating yourself down the bottom. Mm. The second year, you swap it around. Mm. And the third year, you just drop the vendor's name off. And mm. by then, they, they would have know, got to know you and it wouldn't matter what the brand was, you know, because they would have known you by then. Mm. 
Mm, great. Okay. I love it. So then, so then just before we wrap up, maybe if we just come back to where we started, um, you said that there's these three steps that you use in terms of, you know, when you, I, I guess, dealing with your own practice, Chan and Naylor, and, and also when you're dealing with your coaching clients and through WISE, um, mentoring, talking about how to grow a practice. So that's number one, organic growth, number two, product monetization, and number three, acquisition. So how effective do you think acquisitions are in comparison to the other two? And, and, you know, and what do you see is the real benefit of uh, acquisitions as being one of those prongs? Sure. When you do advertising, um, it's a slippery slope. So you can spend, you know, $10,000 and you may not get $10,000 back. Mm. You You get a dollar back. So it's a a hit and miss thing. Mm. And I also found that uh, 50% of the clients that come to you because you advertise uh, are good clients and the other 50% are not good clients. Mm. And uh, and the, the, ones, uh, the, the ones that are not good clients, they've left the accountant, the, the, the last accountant, not because the previous account was bad, it was just that they were, they were really a high-maintenance client. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're always blaming the accountant. That's the problem. But... Uh, 50% of them stop the accountant, but 50% of them are, it, it is the accountant that's the problem. You know, it's, the accountant's given bad service, won't return their calls, you know, all, all the normal things. But it's a, still a hit and miss. You're getting a 50% success rate. And generally, if you if the client is the problem, you don't find out uh, for a couple of years. Mm. They give you real a real hard time for two good years until either you until you throw them out or they leave. <laughs> and then they go, they you know they they go searching for that other accountant that they think it's, you know they won't accept it's it, you know they're, they're a difficult client they'll just keep blaming blaming it on the the, the accountant. Mm. Um, so that's the trouble with um, you know advertising uh, through digital marketing or normal marketing. Now when, when you go buy a firm, um, the clients there are, I, I call them you know rubber cup clients. As opposed to crystal glass clients, so a rubber cup client, you can, you know, you can make a mistake, you can drop drop the cup, and it just bounces back up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can uh, let them down a few times, and mm-hmm. you know they 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 they're pretty resilient. And um, and um, whereas a crystal glass, they you know they'll they'll crack. And then often you know what they're left with are rubber cup clients. All the crystal glass clients are gone. <laughs> um, not, not all of them, but you know, most of them are gone. So in the main, you get some really good rubber cup clients. So when you, and, and also if you pay a dollar per dollar, if you pay a dollar, you're getting a dollar back. So it's a it's a hundred percent hit rate as long as you can retain the clients. Mm. So, so for those reasons, there's there's, advantage, there's advantages and disadvantages, of course. Um, but um, you know, in the main, when you do buy fees, they are good clients and as long as you can retain them, and uh, and they're generally, you know, what I call rubber cup clients. And Ed, I just have to thank you here because you've um, given me a new analogy, a new word to use here. I've never thought of discussing (laughs) the benefits (laughs) of uh, acquisition as a growth strategy just in those words before. I'm going to use it. I hope you don't mind moving forward now. The rubber cup clients (laughs) versus the the crystal glass. That's perfect. (laughs) Absolutely love it. Okay. This is our tweet. (laughs) Look, really wise words. And and I guess just uh, just before we wrap up, can you think 
of like what is the most successful acquisition that um, either you've done or, or you've you've seen one of your um, clients do? So uh, yeah, well, the, the successful ones are you know where there's genuine a genuine um, sale and a genuine purchase. What what I mean by that is, you know, when the vendor is not quite sure and he takes you on a he or she takes you on a roller coaster. Yeah. You know, often you you get um, you know you get you get scar tissue out of it. Yeah. And of course, uh, not being too, um, what's the word? You know, do it my way or else. Uh, you got to be quite flexible, and it, and it's okay to be flexible because you only have to put up with the person for a year. Mm. You know, for heaven's sake, um, if you want to make sure that you know, you're preserving your asset, because you do have a, a, a liability against it. You know, it is at a heightened level of risk. Yeah, you have to eat some humble pie to make <laughs> sure that you know the clients looked after, so they transition, and you only have to put up with the other person's um, you know idiosyncrasies for twelve months or you know or more, and uh, you know just just focus on the client. And, yeah, and generally, you know, it's it's very clear up front, and and that's the, the advantage of a broker. You know, the broker the broker can can you know hold both parties hands through the process because often you know there's a saying a fish can't see water um, mm. because both the vendor sees it from their own point of view and the buyer sees it from his or hers own point of view and, the, and a really good broker will talk you know common sense to both parties and move the, the you know move the process forward and often the vendor and the buyer can't do that they're just they're just too emotional or too close to it and mm. they, they do need a third party to say Hey, come on, Jack. You're being unreasonable here, or yeah. come on, Bill. You're you know you're asking too much, or you know that's really unreasonable. And you know normally that's not what happens. Yes, this one guy who wanted five dollars per dollar, and he said that's mm. normal. You know, like yeah, right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And 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 on that note, what what sort of multiples are, are you looking at right at the moment for accounting? Yeah. That, that's a really good question. We probably should have started with that. <laughs> <laughs> and we nearly missed it. Um, yes, like like it's a if you go to the bank to borrow money, they always do it on on EBITs, you know, so yep. many times EBIT. And sometimes they they don't put uh, a partner's salary in there. So they just take the profit and they multiply that by an EBIT. And then other times they'll they'll put a salary in there and they'll multiply it by four times. And um, so if you're doing a 25% EBIT and you multiply it by four times, that works. If you work it backwards back, it's, it works back to a dollar per dollar. Right. Now, but in on the street, that's the banks. But on the street, um, anything under a million dollars is sold on a dollar per dollar basis. So it can, it can be anywhere between 60 cents and a dollar to, you know, a dollar 20 per dollar. Mm. And... Um, the, the sixty cents ones are, are generally, you know, maybe there's a lot of eye returns in there, or, or the the clients are quite elderly. They might only have a year left uh, before they retire or they sell their business, and um, you know, and and the and the dollar twenty are generally are very very profitable, and they might be doing like a not a twenty five percent EBIT, but they might be doing you know, 40, 50, 60% EBIT. So if, if they're doing a 60% EBIT, then, you know, four times six, you know, you're, you're, you're getting a, a premium. Mm. But in the main, it's it's around between 80 cents to a, to a dollar 20. Mm. Um, it's it's main, it's it's normally around a dollar per dollar. Now in the country, it's it's a little bit less. 
and in the cities a little bit more because the mm. demand the demand pushes it up. Now, anything above a million dollars, it's generally sold on an EBIT basis. Um, mm. So many times, EBIT. Mm. Fabulous. Okay. All right. Well, that's it. I think you've left us with some really good sayings: the rubber cup versus the crystal glass. I also <laughs> like the a fish can't see the water. I actually haven't heard that one either. <laughs> But what a really great uh, progression through uh, this idea of acquisition as a growth strategy. Um, Of course, we've been talking about accounting practices, but I think this applies uh, just as well really to any business. But, um, Ed, I I think if you can just give us a quick um, minute talking about WISE mentoring, I I just think that would be a a really useful thing uh, for, for our audience to just hear a bit about because you've got so much gold in in what you've imparted to um, our listeners today. And to me, I'm raking it all in. This is fabulous information. I absolutely love every conversation we have, Ed. <laughs> Your, um, every conversation just has so much uh, value. So maybe if you can just just quickly give, give us an overview of WISE, who it's for and what 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 is involved in it. Sure. Um, I, I went through the, 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 the normal trials and tribulations that accounting firms go through and and over the last 30 years I've you know developed systems and processes and all that now now we've got 11 11 offices with 120 160 staff and the whole place just works <clears throat> without me so I it just pays me a passive income now it's it's like an investment now isn't that everyone's dream <laughs> <laughs> I but, love it <laughs> yeah, it is achievable I mean most practices you know the trend the the, the cycle the business cycle is, you know, you start off as a sole trader, then, mm. you know, a lot of, lot of us find it hard to transition that to a business. Mm. But I've been able to, to transition it from a business to an investment mm. and it just pays me a passive income. But um, in, in in going through that process, you know, I, I documented a whole lot of things and, and then a, a few, quite a few, not a few, <laughs> accounting firms started asking me to help them. So I... I, start, I started helping them because I, I, you know, I had plenty of time on my hands, and and uh, and one particular firm called Jamie Johns from Sky Accountants, um, you know, he, you know, it took about six months to nine months to turn him around, and and then he he now no longer works uh, works hands on, so he's uh, he's more of a CEO role now, and he, his life completely changed, and uh, you know, he had his lifestyle was great, and he said to me, oh. You know, we should um, share this with the rest of accountants out there. And um, but he brought a particular um, strength. He he was really, really, really good at documenting everything. Mm. So he produced a whole lot of um, you know from just taking everything out of my head. I'm not so good at documenting everything, but it's all sitting in my head. So he was really good at taking it out of my head, putting it on spreadsheets, videoing you know um, you know rubber cups and. <laughs> And crystal glasses, and, <laughs> and fish you can see water too, or can't see the water, <laughs> and uh, you know, and, and all that. And um, so he's documented. It's about 150, you know, tools, if you like, in this in the vault. It's called the Wise Vault, and uh, and it's an online course. You can uh, go through it through. You know, it's, it's a lot of leadership things and and education, and you know, it's around team structures and organization charts and. Now how you how you um, work the flow of the of, of the, the the traffic 
and uh, all that. And um, you know, it, it's now a, a a new business that lots of firms are, are joining up. So you know, there's a free period there, for, um, and there's, there's a quite a few free products if you go in it's called wise mentoring wise with a z and mentoring.com and uh, go go then download there's a free book there in the ebook so uh, if you uh, wanted to uh, have, have a have a look at it it's it is a it's a trial i think it's about a 14 day trial so it's all free and uh, see if it's uh, if it's for you and then we we also run Wise Tribe, which you're involved with. I am, I am. A very proud member of that. Yep. Yes, you answer all the legal questions. So it's it's you know, all practice management stuff. And um, you know, I, I answer all the questions and then we, we run Wise Um Live, a webinar once a month for the owners, and we also run Wise Um Team Clinic for the staff because um you know there's lots of training courses around for you know, preparing accounts and tax returns, doing the work, but there's there's no there's no um, real training for um, you know the leadership mm. and and management. Mm. So a lot of the a lot of the staff you promote to manager, but there's no training, and you know they they just they just um, you know they they just wing it, mm. and you you can't wing it because you know if you do it badly, you create so much damage mm. to a lot of people. You know, or the you create damage to the clients, you damage to the you know to the staff. You also, you know, the profits disappear. Mm. You know, so it's it's a it's a lot of damage that's done. So it's not, it's not not good to wing it. So there's a lot of uh, training to help staff manage, um, and and that's how you leverage. If you can manage, then you're you know you can leverage. If you if you uh, if you can't manage, then you you won't be able to scale. Mm. And it's not just about management. It's just putting the right infrastructure around you, you know, having the right, you know, the right mind. Uh, I used to, I turned grinders, minders and finders. You've got to be in the right seat in the right bus. And there's a, a team blueprint that you've got to use. And, uh, and and it's a bit like, you know, you, you need a architect's plans before you get a builder involved. Yeah. And, uh, and this is, you know, an architect's blueprint on how to, you know, grow your your business, your accountancy business. Well, that's absolutely fabulous, Ed. And, um, you know, I strongly recommend um, anyone who is a listener who has an accounting practice to go and check out Wise Mentoring uh, because I can tell you every time I speak to Ed, even if we start off with uh, a quick five-minute discussion, it ends up in hours <laughs> because you just have so much like, useful information to impart and you're just, you're so generous with your time, Ed, and I'm just so, so grateful. Um, it's been a great discussion today, as always, as it always is. Um, and so we'll put a link in our show notes so if you're running along the beach right at this moment, good on you, um, <laughs> and if you're in your commute to work or home again, just click in the show notes and that'll take you straight through to um ed and also wise mentoring so go check that out ed thank you thank you so much for coming on to the deal room it's been an absolute pleasure no thanks for having me it was a lot of fun and uh, we should do it again let's do it again actually we are we're going to come back at some stage and we'll talk about uh, growing your business through joint ventures which is the one the one thing that we've left out uh, of this discussion today about acquisition. So stay tuned, listeners. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks, Ed. Thank you. 
Well, that's it. That's the end of our two-part series with Ed Chan, the co-founder of Chan and Naylor Accountants and Wise Mentoring for Accountants. So, of course, in these last two episodes, we talked about a lot of topics relating to growing your business through mergers and acquisitions. Uh, We talked about the strategy. We talked about the journey. We talked about the roadblocks and some suggested tips. Uh, Of course, we got some fabulous one-liners from Ed as well about the rubber cup versus the crystal glass. (laughs) So I'm sure uh, I'll remember that one. (laughs) But we also included some really useful pointers there, not just for the acquirers, but also for the sellers in this space about how you can make sure you extract the maximum value from this interaction through the sale and acquisition process and also doing the right things by your clients and keeping clients front of mind. Well, look, I really enjoyed this discussion. I thought it contained a lot of useful information. I hope you, the listener, did too. And if you would like to contact Ed or find out more about wise mentoring for accountants, then just check out our show notes where we will link straight through to Ed and we'll also link straight through to wise mentoring. And also head over to our website at the deal room podcast. Dot com, where you'll also be able to find details of how to contact our legal eagles at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. So don't hesitate to book a free appointment with us if you'd like to find out how we might be able to assist. Well, that's it. If you have enjoyed what you've been listening to today, Today, I do hope that you have hit that subscribe button so that we can be delivered straight to your phone or other favorite podcast player um, as we release weekly. And of course, if you would like to leave us a review, we'd be ever so grateful. Well, that's it. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Have you heard of Aspect Legal's partner program? Our partner program is a free program that's open to brokers, corporate advisors, accountants, and any other advisors to businesses who are dealing with organizations that are leading into a sale or acquisition of businesses or shares. As part of our partner program, we offer free access to our legal hotline, which is a support line to our specialist lawyers. We also provide a pre-free sale legal review to buyers and sellers where we educate them about the process and timelines from a legal perspective. And the third element that forms part of this partner program is a match-up database that we run where effectively we're able to connect up accountants or brokers or corporate advisors with businesses who are looking to either sell or acquire. So if you're a partner of ours, you go straight into that partner database and where we can see opportunities to provide matchups, then we introduce you. And the final element of our partner program is ongoing education in the form of seminars, webinars and meetups. And that's something new that we're introducing into the partner program in early 2020. So if you're not a partner, then all you need to do to become a partner is just pop us an email at partners at aspectlegal.com. 
www.ai.org.au and just simply say in your subject column, I want to become a partner. It's as easy as that to get immediate access to our free legal hotline and all of those other resources. We look forward to having you on board as a partner. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au.